Are you excited about what the Lord is doing? I'm excited about what God's doing in this church. I'm experiencing, I don't know about you, but this internal revival that's taking place. This fire that cannot be quenched. No matter how dark this world gets, I'm still on fire for God. How many knows what I'm talking about? Calamities all around us. Issues are all around us. Famine, stuff, going, we don't know what's going to happen. Some, some people are talk, talking another world war could potentially take place. All kinds of mass shootings are taking all over the place. There's chaos. I mean, this world needs Jesus. And we need to be a good representation of him in the earth. And I'm thankful today that we live in these last hours. I believe we're living in the last days. I mean, believe we're living in the last days. I believe that. I believe that the coming of the Lord is drawing nigh unto us. And I believe it's imperative that we are ready for his coming. That, that the bride, we being the bride, the bride of Christ, that we are ready for the groom. Amen. I mean, brides remember uh, coming down that aisle and, and looking and facing that groom. And how many grooms remember facing that bride and, and just in awe of, of just that moment? I, I'm just anticipating this great wedding feast that's one day going to take place and we're going to be a part of it being his bride. How many is excited about that? Amen. How many is excited about this wedding that's going to take place? And I'm excited about what the Lord is doing right now. Let's turn in our Bibles today to Luke chapter number 19. Luke chapter number 19. We're going to be reading um, verses 28 through 40. Again, this is Palm Sunday. And uh, this is really the beginning of Holy Week. Okay? So a lot of things take place from today, according to the Scripture, from that time span of Sunday to Sunday. You got the triumphal entry that happens uh, today, which is uh, seven days before the resurrection. There's a lot of things that happen inside of that seven day period of time. How many knows a lot can conspire in one week? A lot, a lot can transpire inside of one week in our life. I don't know about you, but I've had it happen. Just, just one, one phone call, one hospital visit. Uh, one issue, one trial, one struggle inside of one week, your whole life can be changed and turned around. And so, uh, I know many of you have experienced that and some of you are experiencing that, uh, uh right now. So let's, let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter number 19, Luke chapter number 19, and we're going to read verses 28 through 40, 28 through 40. And when he had thus spoken, he went before ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he was come nigh to Bethhedge and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples saying, go ye into the village over against you in which at your entering you shall Find a colt tied whereon yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord has need of him. And they who were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the coat? And they said, The Lord has need of him. 
And they brought him to Jesus and they cast their garments upon the colt and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come near, even now to, to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed be the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke your disciples. And he answered and he said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. They would cry out. We're going to stop right there. And uh, we're going to launch into this message today. I, I titled this message today, The Lord Has Need of You. Could we stand to our feet for just a few moments? And while you're standing, I want you to just look at your neighbor and say, The Lord has need of you. Verse 31, The Lord has need of him. The Lord has need. Look at your other neighbor and say, the Lord has need of you. The Lord has need of you. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's bow our heads and our hearts. You pray for me and I'm going to pray for you in the name of Jesus. Father, we come before you right now. Lord, we're thankful for the spirit of God that we feel in this place. I'm thankful right now that the word of God is so powerful. And Lord, I know that it's life transforming today. And I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit, as you gave me this word, that deliverance is going to happen in this house. That you're going to touch your people, that you're going to touch our minds and our spirits and our hearts today. And Father, I pray we're not going to leave out of this place the same in Jesus' name. I pray today, right now, Lord, that we would have a, an understanding that you need us. You want us. You desire us. We pray, God, right now that that we would reciprocate that relationship back to you. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease. And everybody in the church body said, Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, The Lord has need of you before you're seated. The Lord has need of you. The Lord has need of you. You may be seated in God's presence. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. The Lord has need of you. I want that to resonate in your spirit today as we go through this message. Um, when we first come to Christ, how many remembers that day when you came to the Lord? We are struck with the reality of our incredible need of Him. How many remembers that time when you realized that you, didn't, you couldn't figure out how you did life without Him? That you realized all of a sudden when something leaped on the inside, when the power of God, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit of God rose up inside of you, you realized something really quickly that you don't know how you lived life without Him. You couldn't figure out how you made it without Him. You, you was thankful for His saving grace. You was thankful for His mercy. You was thankful for His goodness. And how many knows we absolutely need Jesus? We always will need Him and and, and, and if you can listen, if you can do life without him, you're not doing much life. So as we begin to grow in our walk with God, as we begin to mature in our Christian lives, we come to realize that we not only need God, but God needs us. God needs us. And, and, and this need is more of an invitation, you understand. 
It's an invitation to come and be a part of His kingdom. That word need in the Greek means employment. Employment. Look at your neighbor and say employment. God is looking for some people that will go to work for Him. That will lay aside their selfish ambitions and they will put their hand to the plow and not look back. He is looking for a people to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. He's looking for good representatives in the earth to speak uh, to His people in the body of Christ on this earth. He's looking for people with the gift of helps. He's looking for people with the spirit of joy on their life. He's looking for people that are have loving kindness and patience. God needs us in this final hour. Now, I'm not just saying in, in any way that, that God is needy or that, that He is not completely capable of doing anything or everything that, that He needs to do in this world by Himself. He is certainly capable of doing it all, you understand. He can take care of it all. But I'm thankful that He allows us to enter into this ministry of life to work on His behalf. Amen? And, and yet in His wisdom, He has chosen to use us. He uses His people and, 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 and he, he is in need of us. Look at your neighbor and say, He's in need of you today. And I'm thankful when the world is at a loss or even the prophets of old were at a loss that God has a remnant of people. God has a people that set aside meat for the master's use. He, he said, I have reserved 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. He's always got a remnant in the earth. He's always got people that are ready to do his work, to do his bidding. And when the prophet was just down and out and downcast and trying to figure out what life was going to have, how he was going to uh, communicate, how the people were going to turn around and what the people were going to do, they wasn't listening to the message. He said, I've got some people that are lined up that I have set forth throughout eternity that are blood washed people, born again, Bible believing. There's 7,000. I've got a remnant in this hour that nobody can shake loose. He's got a remnant. So I want to consider Luke's account here today. There's so many things that I could preach on. I told the wife last night, I said, pray for me because sometimes my head feels like it's going to explode. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. There's so many things that you could talk about. There's so many things that you could preach about. But I believe this is a message for somebody here today. So as we let launch into Luke's account of the story over 2,000 years ago, this Palm Sunday, when Jesus chose to come in riding a young colt into the holy city. Uh, listen, I prayed something. I prayed that God would give us something of fresh from this message. God would give us fresh bread and fresh meat. A, a story, listen, a story that we have read and heard countless times. And, and this year, the phrase that leaped off the page is, as I combed through the scripture is, is just even this, it, the individual, if you will, is this donkey. I'm focused on the donkey today. I want to focus just a few moments on a donkey. Look at your neighbor and say a donkey. Jesus said, tell them that the Lord is in need of it. Tell them that the Lord is in need of it. And my first assumption was that he was talking about himself. Jesus is saying this, that the Lord has need of it. Jesus is saying the Lord has need of it. So my first assumption is that he is talking about himself. Okay. But I did a quick search through the other Gospels where Jesus mentions his own needs. And there's a moment in John chapter number four where Jesus asked the Samaritan woman to give him a drink of water. You remember the story. 
And he began to he, he began to uh, minister to this woman, and which, by the way, he he never gets the drink of water. He, he never gives the drink. Of, he, he never gets it. But in return, he gives her the living water that she will never thirst again. He's the one in return gives the living water. In another uh, moment in John chapter number 19, where the Bible says, I thirst in order, Jesus speaking again, I thirst in order to fulfill the scriptures. I'm thirsty to do the will of the Father. How many is thirsty today to do His will? He would offer up His life for the sins of humanity on an old rugged cross and ultimately doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. But on the whole, here's the thing, Jesus does not appear to be a needy person. Jesus doesn't appear to be needy. And I'm reminded of that sermon that Paul preached at Athens on Mars Hill in which he said, the God who made the world and everything in it, He who is Lord of the heaven and earth, and He does not live in shrines made by human hands or served by human hands as though He is in need of anything. How many knows God's not in need of anything? The Son of God often, listen, in the same way wasn't served by human hands and did not seem to have much that He needed in this life. He was the very bread of life. He is the very giver of life. He didn't seem to be in much of anything. He was one of the most, listen, one of the most who, most individuals who humbled himself in the form of a servant. Look at your neighbor and say servant. He humbled himself in the form of a servant. So the fact that he said he was in need of something in itself is quite remarkable to me. That he needed something. But the fact of what he needs when he finally gets around to mentioning a need is stunning. He needs a donkey. How remarkable that he would need a donkey. So I did a, a search last week and over this past week of, and, and 70 times the word Lord is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. 70 times the word Lord is mentioned in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus never uses it to refer to himself though. Luke refers to him as Lord, and Jesus' disciples referred to him as Lord, you remember. Others referred to him as Lord, but when Jesus himself uses the word Lord, he uses it to refer to God the Father. Is it possible that when Jesus says about this donkey, the Lord needs it, he isn't talking about himself at all, but about God the Father, his Father, our Heavenly Father, the Maker of heaven and earth, he is the one in need of the donkey. God the Father is the one needed the donkey. God the Father was the one making a declaration to the people that this is the Messiah. This is Jesus the Christ. This is, this is my son. This is, this is my boy, if you will. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. His boy is now riding through town, you understand. This great parade, this palm branches that Sister Barbara talked about, laid out on the road, people laying their cloaks down, people crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He said, the Lord has need of it. Is it possible that God the Father was saying, you're in need of my son, the Savior. You're the one in need. He's not in need. You're the one in need. And so they begin to lay out their palm branches and they and they was he was riding through town. You understand he was humble. He was lowly. He was meek and he was mild. And he was going through and he was going to this 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 parade, if you will. 
And it wasn't a parade that you would expect because you would think to yourself that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is going to come riding in on a white stallion. You're going to think that he's going to come in modern era, roll in on a Rolls Royce. Something really fancy dancy, but that's not what Jesus was all about. He was humble. He was lowly. And God the Father was saying that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. My son is going to be. Here's the thing. Focus on this for a moment. My son is going to be the center of attention. My son, not what he can do, not the miracles, not the gifts, not the sight. He's all of those things. He's a miracle working God. How many knows that? He's a miracle. But that wasn't the focus at that moment. It was about his son being paraded through the town. The savior of the world was now front and center and the, the attention and the affection of everybody that rolled into this parade. So there they are in Jerusalem. The triumphant entry is here. Okay. And all eyes would be upon him. Amen. All eyes would be upon him. He did it. Here's the thing. He did it because that's the way the father scripted it. That's the way the father wanted it to be. So I'm sure he would have rather have strolled through the city unnoticed. Anybody like that? You don't like all the glitz and glamour of life. You just kind of like to blend in or kind of come into the shadows of things. Uh, uh, the, the wife likes me to wear bright clothes on occasion and things like that. I like to wear grays and blues and blacks and different. I kind of like to blend in. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I don't like to be the center of attention. I don't mind. On occasion, like Wednesday, with it being my birthday, I don't mind that being the center of attention or me being the center of attention. But most of the time, I don't like that. Anybody know what I'm talking about? So Jesus rolls into town in this inconspicuous way, riding in on a donkey, doing the unthinkable in most men's eyes. So he rolls in to the city. And I'm sure the same words that will eventually come out of the mouth on Good Friday of Jesus, as he is facing the crucifixion, was the same answer that would be given in the triumphal entry when he rolls into this town. What does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So what if this parade into the city was not Jesus' idea, but only one more act of obedience? One more act of obedience. And in the service of His heavenly Father, listen, He must be about the Father's business. That's what Jesus was always all about. He was about His Father's business. Somebody say amen. So when Jesus would, would, would say to that donkey, the Lord has need of it, He was saying, I've got to accomplish my Father's will. I've got to accomplish my Father's will. The Father needs me to show myself as His Messiah, as His Son, as the Savior. God was wanting to give the people of Jerusalem the opportunity to receive the gift that He had, he had been given to them. We know that He's the gift. According to John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So He was a gift. He is the gift. And might I say he's the gift that keeps on giving. He keeps on giving in this life. And listen, I'm going to tell you what, I, I've never found that I've had too much of God. I've never found that I've had too much of Jesus. 
I found sometimes when I lack and not pursuing him enough, but I've never had too much of him. Why? Because he's the gift that keeps on giving. Somebody say amen. He is the gift that keeps producing in my life. It's not me. I was bought with the price. It's all about Jesus Christ and what he did. He is the great gift in my life. He's the great gift. Look at your neighbor and say he's a gift. He's a gift. He's a gift. So God was saying, look, here is... Here is the one I have chosen to rescue you. This is what was going on in the mind of God as he's being paraded through the city. This is my Savior. Don't miss him. Don't miss the... You've seen the miracles. You've seen, the, you've seen all these. But don't miss him. He's the Savior. So here he rolls into town. He, 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 he is saying essentially that... that this is the one that I have chosen. This is the one I have rescued you for. This is the one that I have brought deliverance to you with to save you from your sins with. And maybe God was just wanting an acknowledgement from his people. Have you ever thought about that? The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. Maybe it was God just simply wanting his people, humanity, to acknowledge the fact that he had given his only begotten son. The triumphal entry, the palm branches, Hosanna. Come on, you've got to be able to see it. You've got to be able to see it in your spirit right now. That, 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 that this deliverer, my son. And maybe he was just wanting someone in the crowd to say thank you. Have you ever just felt that way before? Have you ever done so much for somebody, but yet they never gave you a thank you? Come on, parents. Come on in here. Have you ever had children that were ungrateful for the things that you have done, but yet you kept giving anyway? That's sign. That's the way God has been in our life. And listen, we've always got to take time to stop. So these, whole, these branches were about just simply thanking God in the moment for all that he had, he had given to them. So as Jesus got on this donkey and he rode into town, the people started throwing their cloaks down on the road in front of him doing the best that they could in their poor way to roll out the red carpet, if you will. They were just simply rolling out the red carpet as he rolled down into the city. And as he began to stroll down from that Mount of Olives, the people began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice with all their deeds and all the miracles and signs and the power that they had out seen, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he, the king who comes. In the name of the Lord, peace and in heaven, glorious in the highest of heaven. And listen, whether or not it did something for Jesus, I believe it did something for our heavenly father. It did something for our heavenly father to hear the people rejoicing over his son. And maybe that's why when the Pharisees tell him and tell Jesus, you know what? We need to quiet the crowds. How many of those Pharisees was always trying to take the praise off of Jesus and they wanted the praise to be upon themselves? They never told each other, we need to steal the crowds because of our sake. It was for Jesus' sake. So he told, they told Jesus, you need to quiet down the crowds. You need to shut up the people. You need to keep them quiet. He tells them, if they don't worship me, the rocks will cry out. So listen, if you don't have a praise on your lips today, understand there is a rock that will cry out in your place. But I don't know about you. I don't want something stale and dead and not moving, going to praise God when I'm a living being and a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. I need to put a praise on my lips today and I need to put some action to my praise. 
Come on, somebody. You've got to come alive in this thing. This gospel is living and powerful. And if you don't grasp that, you will be a dead Christian in a pew or in a chair every single week, not doing nothing for the gospel. And you need to be a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. I don't want to be a dead stone. How about you? I spent enough, enough time of my life doing dead things to a dead devil somewhere, doing all kinds of stuff, not bringing praises to God. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. When I came alive in Jesus Christ, I decided I'm giving everything to him. And listen, that same zeal that you have for sports, that same zeal that you have for music, that same zeal you have for the things that entertain you, you need to put a greater zeal on that thing for God. I said a greater zeal. I said a greater zeal that we need to put on God versus the things that we find in this world to be pleasing. We need to put a praise on our hip lips. Why? Because God inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. So number one, if you're taking notes, I'm trying to hurry along. Number one, we see the object. Look at your neighbor and say the object, the object. This was Jesus' great moment. He had been ministering in all the surrounding areas and news about his ministry had, and the miracles he had performed had spread abroad. I mean, it was when Jesus showed up, the crowd showed up. The Bible said no man ever spoke like this man before. So when people had, had seen and had heard that Jesus, when, the Bible says when it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house, all of a sudden the place was jam-packed with people. Why? Because they wanted a touch from God. I don't know about you, but I'm here today to receive a touch. I'm here to receive a touch in my spirit. Some of y'all are hanging on by a thread. You need a touch in your spirit today. I need a touch from God today. So we see that Jesus' ministry was always about people clamoring about him, trying to get just a little bit of touch. They needed a healing. They need deliverance. They needed direction. They needed life more abundantly. And now he was about to enter into Jerusalem. And this was the great entrance into the holy city, you understand. And it's the place where Jesus and, and where God ordered Abraham to bind his son Isaac for sacrifice. Same place. And where later David and Solomon built the central ritual structure of Judaism, the twice destroyed temple that many Christians believe will be rebuilt before the second coming. It's the place where Jesus and the saints of old walked. The place where the central story of the message of the gospel unfolded. The place where the end times will be orchestrated. So Jesus knew this moment was very much special. He had become something of a phenomenon in the nation of Israel. And he could have entered, listen, with a great show. He could have entered on a great chariot with great pomp and great circumstance. And yet he had a different form of transportation in mind. He was going to enter a different way. How many of those God's ways are not our ways? And his thoughts are not our thoughts. Jesus always did what he saw his father doing in John chapter number 5, verse number 19. In that moment, the father showed him a vision of a cult that was tied up in a village ahead. And I believe the cult represents us as people. It's a representation of us. There's types and shadows all throughout the scripture. And before the foundation of the world, Jesus saw you and me and he had a plan for our lives. He chose us according to Ephesians chapter number one, verse number four. Aren't you thankful today that you were chosen? He has a plan to use you for his kingdom purposes. So there was nothing special or fancy about this cult. 
The Bible does not say that it was a champion thoroughbred racehorse or a thoroughbred or, 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 or a great war horse of any type. No, it says it was a simple colt. Simple. Simplicity. God delights in choosing, here's the thing, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chooses the weak things of the world to shame the strong, according to 1 Corinthians 2 and 17. So the cult was symbolic of his humanity. The, the, the cult was symbolic also of his humility. Humble servant. I mean, knows we got to be humble in this thing. Just like the humble, I think about the manger scene for just a moment in Bethlehem. I think about how humble that, that manger scene in that stable, Jesus being born in, in, a, in, a, in a cow stall somewhere. Jesus was born there. Jesus is so awesome, though, you understand, altogether and glorious all by himself. He doesn't need any fancy trimmings to demonstrate that. He doesn't need all the extras in life. He doesn't need all the pomp and the circumstance. Everything else is a byproduct. Jesus is always the prime product. Jesus must remain front and center in everything in our life. So don't let the donkey be a distraction. He uses donkeys every single day. Look at your neighbor with the most least offensive face that you can possibly muster up and say, we are in this thing together. You donkey. He uses donkeys every single day. He uses stubborn people every single day. He uses people that kick against Him every single day. He, he uses people that resist Him every single day. God loves to use donkeys. Right? Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor... We are all donkeys. <laughs> he uses donkeys. The other thing about this cult was the fact, hear me beloved, was the fact that it was available. The cult was available. It has been said that Jesus, that God, is not always looking for ability, but for availability. He does not call the qualified, he qualifies the call. So this cult was not being utilized, it was not ready for use, it was not qualified as a form of transportation. It was unbroken, it was untrained, and no experience had, had been had carrying anyone on its back. And how many knows I'm not about to be the crash dummy for a donkey that's unbroken. But Jesus, having all power in his hand, that donkey, when it seen Jesus, came underneath of the master's care at that moment, and he did the Lord's bidding. Listen, it wasn't, oh, we got to take you out back and train you for a few moments. And let's ride around this track together and try to get this thing to get. No, it wasn't like that. This animal came into submission to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Isn't that remarkable? And from a human standpoint, it seemed like a risk. Right? This was a big risk for him. But listen, I don't know about you. God doesn't mind taking risk with the possibility of rejection. God doesn't mind taking a risk on us. God doesn't mind you showing up to this church this morning and, and just simply having so much that you are, you are underneath of a dark cloud that you're feeling right now. God doesn't mind you having and carrying a lot of baggage with you because he can take and handle that. It's not a risk for him. God's not worried about that. Listen, I don't know about you, but he, 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 bankrupted, he bankrupted heaven and he sent his only begotten son. And we have a choice, listen, to, to let him sit and rest in our life or reject him and cast him aside. And I don't know about you today, but the, I just asked the Lord, Lord, come sit on this untrained donkey. Presence of God, come rest on this untrained donkey. 47 soon to be year old man that's untrained and still looking to follow you in all of his way doesn't have it all together but yet still looking and desiring more lord come rest on me come sit in my presence come to this untrained listen god chose that cult he chose it, it wasn't a mistake it wasn't just by happenstance and i want to say today god chose you he chose you. And it's not about us. It's about God choosing us that makes what we do for him significant. That's what makes it significant. So what a great honor to be used of the Lord. We also have to bear in mind that this cult could have bucked Jesus off. Could have thrown him off, right? And I have to believe as you believe, that we serve an omnipotent God. Look at your neighbor and say, he's omnipotent. What does that mean? He's all-powerful. All power rests in his hands. Jesus approached this cult, and, and we see his majesty take place, his awesomeness, his power that he, he exemplifies. He brought this unbroken, wild donkey into submission to him. Unbroken. Wild. We got any wild children in here? <laughs> Aren't you thankful today that God can tame that wild side? That God can take a life that is so in disarray. And he can do a 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. All things become new. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit rests. How many knows, uh, of, how many was a wild child yourself? How many did some wild stuff yourself? But yet with God in our life, listen, God tamed me, brought me and took and used that same zeal and that same desire, not for the world or the things of the world. He took and utilized that thing for him. So all power rests in his hands. And I, I, I think about the life and this, the, the, this donkey. I think about for just a few moments of how when Jesus touches a thing, it's never the same. I, I used to preach a sermon about 
the wedding at Cana of Galilee and how when Jesus showed up, when the Bible says that they were out of wine, you remember the story. When men had well drunk, when they had consumed all of the wine, and at the end of the end of the whole situation, we know Jesus showed up on the scene. He told them to fill the water pots with water and, and, and whatever the case. And all of a sudden they look up and they got all this wine now. And then the host of the, the wedding simply says, you've saved the good wine until now. Who was the supply there? Jesus was the supply. But the point is this. Whatever Jesus touches always ends up better at the end of that thing. You can take some old dirty water pots Fill them with water, but let the Lord touch that thing and it becomes beautiful wine in his, in his listen, and, and I'll tell you something, that's the way my life has been. He took an old wretched sinner, turned it around for the grace and the mercy of God. And I am what I am by the grace of God. You are what you are by the grace of God. So whatever Jesus touches always ends up better at the end of the thing. So in our lives, we can we can look to change our nature. Anybody ever try? We can try to do good and we can try to be better. We can have the, the best training and the best support staff and the best leader, but it's only the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives through submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ that brings true, true change in our life. That cult carried Jesus into the holy city. That's what the duty for that cult was. It carried the weight of His presence. Hear me. In a similar way, God calls us to carry the weight of His glory and His presence and the power of Jesus into the towns and the cities that are dying without Him right now. God is expecting us to carry the presence of God wherever we go. We are to be carriers of the presence of God. Why? Because the Lord has need of you. Look at your neighbor and say he has need. Come on, wake up today. The Lord has need of you. The Lord has need of you. Number two, as you're taking notes, ownership. Look at your neighbor and say ownership. Ownership. So we see the object. Then we see ownership. Now Jesus said, tell the owner of the Lord, the Lord has need of it. And when they came to untie the colt, the owner asked, why are you untying this thing? Can you imagine being the owner of the donkey? This was an issue of ownership. This, it, it was an issue of lordship also. By some miracle, the owner did not exercise his right to keep the donkey. He gave up rights. The donkey was effectively cast aside. Here's what I want to say to somebody. God sees value in you when nobody else sees value in you. When everybody else has cast you off, when everybody else has put you aside, when you've made 10,000 mistakes and you don't feel like you can get up again by the grace of God, Listen, I don't know what everybody else is saying. I don't really care what everybody else is saying. All I know is that God sees something in you that nobody else can see in you. He's wanting to use you. He doesn't just simply cast you aside. He gets you into the game and puts you, listen, He, he, he puts His presence upon you. His mercy upon you. His grace upon you. 
Come on, hear me. Somebody, the enemy is speaking in your ears right now because the devil has simply said, you're of no use. There's no value to you. God cannot use you. There is value in you. Hear the voice of the Lord today. There is value in you. He has not cast you aside. He has got you in right in place where he needs you in this time. So the Bible does not say that the owner had heard of Jesus. He didn't even know of him. The owner, what he did, though, was he relinquished the rights of ownership of the cult and he recognized that something or someone more powerful than him was exercising their rights to use that animal. This is how it is when Jesus chooses us. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, this is the rest, the rest of this verse, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you according to John 15 and 16. Whatever you ask. So when we respond to the gospel and we choose to accept Christ's offer of salvation, this free gift, we are responding to his choice of us. God chose us. Isn't that remarkable? Have you thought about that? Because here's what I've thought about myself before. If I was the one up in heaven choosing, I probably wouldn't choose me. I wouldn't even choose myself. And you, most of you are the same way. You would, Because you realize your own shortcomings. You realize your own insecurities. You realize your own uh, areas of life that you have failed short on. You wouldn't even pick you. How many remembers uh, gym class in high school? And how many would, when, when they would set up that basketball team and they'd get set up the football team and all that, depending on what your size was and all that stuff. I don't know about you, but I was always seemingly the last guy picked for basketball. And it didn't take long to figure out why. I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn with that crazy ball. But aren't you thankful today that God doesn't pick that way? That's not how God, God's looking for somebody that's humble, that's lowly, that's meek, that's mild. And listen, what happened at that moment is when that, when that man just, he, he didn't go after Jesus. He didn't say, that's my donkey. I got to have it. No, he simply transferred at that point. He transferred the donkey over to Jesus Christ. And this is what happens in our life when we come to God, when we come out of sin, come out of darkness into his marvelous life. God purchased, he bought us with Jesus Christ's blood. You understand that? He bought us with his blood and we are transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the marvelous light. We come into another kingdom. That's why last year we preached so much on the kingdom of God, because I believe something in this final hour that we need to be a good representation of Jesus Christ in the earth. So there was this transfer, if you will, of this new kingdom. And, and what, what does that look like? That means that you are no longer a slave to the enemy. Come on, somebody. You're no longer a slave to your past. You're no longer a slave to that person. You know those people that make you feel bad about a certain type of thing? That look at you and think to you and at some point say to you something like this, you know what, you'll always be the same. You'll never change. Listen, you're not, you're, you're not held captive by that person. You're no longer a slave to the enemy. You're no longer a slave to your past. You're no longer a slave to your problems. 
You're no longer a slave to these things because when you transfer ownership and now you come underneath of God's kingship, you're a new creature. It doesn't matter what you have done. Hear me. It doesn't matter how difficult the road was and how dirty you may feel like you have been. God's saving grace can show up onto the scene and you're no longer a slave to that thing. So we are transferred from the ownership of the enemy and the kingdom of darkness and we have a new owner. The king of the kingdom of God is now our new owner. The king. And at that point of salvation, all the rights of ownership the enemy has had over our lives is now broken. Amen? The ownership that the enemy had over our lives when we come to Christ is broken. The enemy has no legal right to influence any areas of our life. And we need to listen. We need to be those who remind him of that. Remind. Because oftentimes the enemy will start speaking in your ear. And what do you got to do? You got to start telling the enemy, listen, I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God. I said, I'm no longer a slave to that thing. You could listen, the temptations are going to keep. How many knows the devil does it? He is persistent in his coming to you. He is persistent in coming back. You can be re, you can repent of that thing. You can move forward with the life of Christ, but that doesn't mean the devil's going to stop knocking. That doesn't mean the devil's going to stop tempting you in certain ways. But you've got to remind him that I'm no longer a slave to my fleshly desires. I said, I'm no longer a slave. I'm a child of God. I've been transformed by the renewing of my mind through the power of the Holy Spirit. You are in the kingdom of God for a reason. He wants you to carry the weight of His glory. What an honor and a privilege to be chosen by God to carry such an amazing treasure. The wonderful presence of Jesus. And my prayer is, Lord, take ownership of my life. Is that your prayer today? Lord, take ownership of my life because I've messed up. I want to say to somebody, stop being owned by your past. Stop being owned by those who have used you. Stop being owned by your failures and by your mistakes. Stop being owned. Listen, I've got a new owner. Look at your neighbor and say, i got a new owner. And his name is Jesus. I've signed the title over to my life. How about you? When you go to the DMV, I signed that title over and I gave him everything, including the TOD, the time of death. Everything belongs to the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's all his. It all belongs to him. We've got to listen. We can't hold back in part. It's a full surrender. You can't surrender your body a living sacrifice in part. Think about this for a few moments. Are you just going to give God your pinky toe? Are you just going to give God part of the arm? How does that happen? He said, submit yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, for it is your reasonable service. The word reasonable means there that you just you can do it with God's help. That you can do that with God's help. So number three, we're coming to a landing strip here. Number three is outcome. Look at your neighbor and say outcome. Outcome. Many people, much like this donkey in Luke's gospel, 
feel as though they are just watching and waiting. Just waiting. Just watching. Feeling useless. Ever felt that way? You may have a million gifts, but there's times that you can feel completely useless. Watching and waiting, tied up like this donkey. Waiting to be loosed. You're just there. You're just holding out till Jesus comes. You're just going through the motions of life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just rolling through the motions of life. And then Jesus comes. He shows up onto the scene. And you think to yourself, and I don't, I don't know about you, but people deal with all kinds of different stuff. And, 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 and you find yourself just existing. Just routines of life. Just things become repetitive. You get up and you do this. And you've got this cycle every single day of your life. Never really discovering what for. Why am I here? What is the purpose that God has for me? What is God doing in my life right now? Listen, I have found that these thoughts don't just come to specific age groups. Okay? These thoughts come to our children. These thoughts come to our teenagers. They come to our 20-somethings. They come to our 30, 40-somethings. They come to our 50, 60, 70, 80, 90-somethings. We play the conversations over and over Asking ourselves, what's next? What now? God, this took place, but what is next? Sometimes that's been after a great trial. Sometimes that's been after a great sin. Sometimes that's in a transitional moment in your life. God, what is next for me? And I want to say, before I finish this message here in just a few moments, the Lord has needed you. What's next? I'm not being insensitive here, but forget what they said. I'm not saying it didn't hurt because I've suffered hurt from people. But I want you, I want you to understand the Lord has needed you. And it doesn't matter what people say. You've got to learn. It's that old saying in grade school. I'm rubber, you're glue. Whatever bounces off of me sticks to you. Right? I know that's childish, but it's the only thing I could come up with at this very moment. But that's how we have to respond in those moments. We play the conversations over and over, asking ourselves, what's next? What now? What do we do? And all the while, listen, here's the thing. We're tied to the post of our insecurities. Tied up. Tied to the post. There are those of us who have absorbed life's blows. And have endured wounds of failure and enjoyed accomplishments along the way. But we've had failures and we've had great successes. And we find that we still wonder. It makes no difference what we've succeeded in. We still wonder. We, we converse with friends. We seek counsel. We pray and we search for that which matters. We long to know about our significance. God, what do you have for me? What do you have next for me? And here's the thing, if, if you're asking that question, I got good news because the human spirit will always cry out for more. Our human spirit always cries out for more. God created us that way. God doesn't want us to stay in a place of lack. God doesn't want us to play, stay in a place of defeat. God doesn't want us to stay in a place where we can't move forward. He created us in a place where we cry out to Him when we're in our darkest hours and darkest troubles and 
trials. He created us that way. And because of this, He calls out to us, drawing us to Himself. He is coming after us. Can you see Him rolling into the city of Jerusalem? Do you picture Him for a moment? And how at the same time, He's rolling into your life. He's showing up in your life. And he sees this donkey over to the side that seems to be so useless. And the Bible says, the Lord said, I have need of that. I, I want somebody to hear that today, that the Lord has need of you. None of us, listen, none of us are donkeys. But likewise, we are a bit of a challenge, right? Your spouse knows. You're a bit of a challenge at times, right? We can be stubborn, but still God is coming after us. And I'd like to submit that our relationship to this story may be this. Many of us are tied up. We are bogged down by our decisions. We are held captive by our doubts. We are held captive by our past and people of our past and our present. And like the untied donkey in the story of the Gospel of Luke, one of the hardest things to come to terms with when we face life and transition is our usefulness. Do I have a place somewhere? Can I still be effective? Is God still for me? And if God be for me, who can be against me? Do you ask yourself those questions at times? So allow me to pose these questions. Are, are there challenges holding you back? What is that thing holding you back right now? This could be in the form of strongholds. This could be in the form of sin. This could be in the form of people and even overload. Sometimes we get overloaded with just doing too much. I've got to sometimes scale back a pastoral team and our team in general, because sometimes when we press, we press. I mean, those, some of y'all are looking like you've been pressing all week. <laughs> sometimes we just got to say, we need some time off. We get, we get bogged down by life. We get bogged down by, by things that are happening. And as a result, listen, we are stripped of our effectiveness. The longer you're tied up, the more we are stripped of our effectiveness. So are there ropes that are, that are keeping us stuck, that are keeping us bound? Have you accepted the lie and agreed with the argument that life is over and there is nothing left? Have you agreed with that thought? Have you accepted that lie today? Have you accepted that argument that life is over and there's nothing left for you? Do you hear the whisper? That says you're too old. That too much time has been lost. Do you hear the whisper that you're too young? What if I fail? What if they laugh at me? What if? Do you wonder where to start? Do thoughts of starting or even starting over overwhelm you? 
I'm amazed at talking to young people that feel as though that their life is over at such a young age. 22 and it's over already. Wow. But you know what? I've understood something. I used to be very insensitive. And I say that humbly today. Because sometimes I would be like, you know what? You've got a lot of living left to do. How many has ever heard that before? You know what? We don't know what somebody's going through. We've got to be careful no matter how young or how old somebody is. And we can say things that seem to be the right thing at the right time, but they're very insensitive in the moment. So there's people in this room, maybe you feel like, as young people, you feel like that I don't have nothing left to get. The life is over for me. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. That's a lie from the enemy. And I'm equally amazed at how many older saints feel as though that they have nothing left to offer. How many knows the devil's a liar? He will speak things in your ears to bring your life to a screeching halt when the Lord said, I have need of you. He will try to put the brakes on however he can, but God's saying, I have need of thee. He needs us. So Jesus comes to untie the rope. Pastor Sandra, if you would come. Comes to untie the ropes that are holding us back. To break every yoke. To declare to you that your life, hear me, is not over. There is much left to be done. That the Lord has need of you. He is in the business, you understand, of untying donkeys. Of breaking people free from that which holds them back. That's what God does. Do you feel that today? Do you feel like God can do it for you? Do you feel like God can break you away from that thing? I don't know about you, but I feel there is a there is a spirit, though some of you are distracted right now with your past. The enemy is continuing to distract you in this service. The Lord has need of you. I'm going to say it from the rooftop, and every time you hear that voice, the Lord has need of you. That needs to be your natural response following hearing what the enemy is saying in your ear. The Lord has need of you. That voice needs to be louder than any other voice in your life. Listen, I don't know about you, but I, I need, at times in my life, I need a breakthrough. But you know what I'm talking about? I need a breakthrough. I'm my own worst enemy. Could we stand to our feet for just a few moments? So, I, I want to close with this before we go into prayer. Here's the final statement I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say before we pray. When everyone else sees a donkey, God sees a destiny. God sees not just a destiny, but that word is short for destination. He's got something for you down the road, and it's not, it's not some bad... You know, are any control freaks in the room... You like to control everything. I've got my hand. I don't know why. I've got my hand up. I'm that way too. Isn't it tough for you sometimes to relinquish things? It's tough for us. When, when you've got that type of makeup, that's just who you are. 
But I want today, I want, I want us all to be thinking. Close your eyes for just a few moments. Close your eyes for just a few moments. Close your eyes just for a few moments. I want you to say with me, the Lord has needed me. Come on, I want you to say it out loud. The Lord has needed me. I'm going to say it again. The Lord has needed me. I, I, I feel like this is moving in somebody's spirit right now. The Lord has needed me. Come on, say it a few more times. The Lord has need of me. The Lord has need. Now here's what I want us to do. I want us to take hands with the person next to us right now. I want us to join hands. And just like this donkey, I want you to realize that you have a destination, that you've got a place God's wanting to take you and use you for His glory. And I don't want you to not start thinking about what that's going to look like and what that picture is going to be. Because everyone in this room is in different age groups. That's going to look somewhat different for every single person. But if you don't focus so much on what you're going to do, but the fact that He's going to be the keeper of the destination, then you will get there the way God wants you to. So I want you just for a few moments, I want us to just join together and pray. You've got hands of your neighbor next to you. Let's join hands and let's, let's pray together. Pray for the person next to you. Father, in the name of Jesus.